creeps! Welcome to a brand new episode of the Epic Film Guys podcast. I'm Justin. I'm Jeremy. And on this episode, we're steering away from the spooky, away from the gore, away from the scary, to something totally tubular, something fun, from our childhoods, something that the majority of our listeners, all of you out there, can totally relate to, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, which crash-landed in shell-shocked theaters last weekend. We both had the opportunity to see it, and, uh, you know... it wasn't like something we were telling each other we had to cover, but I just feel like, Jeremy, after we talked about it, this is something that needs to be talked about on the show. We need to spread the word about this movie and chat about it. Don't you agree? Oh, dude. Yeah, plus your hair is green, the same color as the turtles, <laughs> and I just feel like that's fate. Yeah, dude. I mean, I actually got, uh, from my pictures, being at the early screening of the movie, people kept saying, yeah, you're on brand for the movie. It's not knowing that the shit's always fucking green, but <laughs> very true. Um, it, it does coincide with the turtles perfectly. So we're going to jump into that in just a few minutes. But this week, Jeremy, before we get into that, we lost one of the greatest filmmakers to ever live in the history of cinema. William Friedkin passed away at the age of 87 years old. And, a good uh, run. you know, huge run. Um, most people don't live that long. Um, so it's not like a massive shock to, you know, cinephiles and horror fans everywhere, but it still kind of hurts. And, you know, like sometimes I forget how important these people are to my cinematic upbringing, if you will. You know, like you don't realize, like, you know, last week we, we lost Paul Jesus Rubens Christ. and that was a he hit. Was fucking Herman. And then we lose the the director of The Exorcist the very next week. Like, we are at the age where the movies that we grew up with, the icons that we grew up with, uh, the universe is taking away from us now. And, like, that's awful. Like, it just, it feels like almost every other week we're losing somebody because we're just at that age, man. Like, you know, we're, like, fucking, you know, almost 40 and... The people I turned forty. The, I, I turned forty this year. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're basically to, to you know sum it up. We're fucking old. Yeah, man. It's it's <laughs> it's know? it's so the guys that we grew up watching and idolizing, like they're all in their fucking seventies and eighties, and you know life runs its course and it's fucking terrible, man. Like somebody needs to send like multivitamins and uh, like vitamin C and and you know healthy gummies to John Carpenter because we need to preserve this guy. Dude, he needs the fountain of fucking youth is what he needs. Let's just say that much right now, okay? Um, but, no, for real, I mean, you know, Billy Friedkin, we've both had personal experiences with him. Um, everyone knows the story that you and I met at Alamo Draft House at a screening of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, however, I think the second time I ever saw you in person was when... Uh, they were doing the Exorcist Steps commemoration event in Washington, D.C., a.k.a. Georgetown. Uh, and William Peter Blatty and William Friedkin were there to honor the event and commemorate. And now they're and both gone. Speeches and such. They're both gone. Uh, but you and I got to meet. I got to meet Billy. I did not have enough time in the line to meet B- William Peter Blatty, which I always will regret. But um, we both met him. And I'll never forget like seeing you in line after you had already met him. And you telling your story to me. So 
It needs to be said that William Friedkin was an extremely outspoken man, um, and his opinions on movie movies in general were very, very strong. And in his personal life, he could be a little edgy. Um, it's time, Jeremy, for you to tell your William Friedkin story. Oh, man. I, uh, <laughs> this is something that I will never forget for my entire life. And anytime anybody ever brings up The Exorcist, if they're like, hey, like, have you ever met the people from The Exorcist? I'm like, yeah, of course I've met Linda Blair, you know, but I've got a story about meeting the, the director, uh, William Friedkin. So... I got there hours and hours early because I was like, man, this is a free signing. Like, Yeah, free signing. Both of them were signing at the, at the event. Yeah, and I was like, dude, people are going to show up to this thing. They're making the stairs in Georgetown from The Exorcist a historical landmark. So I got there hours early, and so they had said to me, they said, you know, since, since you guys, and it was like me and a couple other people, got here so early, um, he's going to sign more than one item for you. You guys can get two items signed. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. That's great. So, you know, he shows up in full rock star status and he starts walking down the line and giving people high fives and stuff like that. And I'm like, holy shit, there he is. That's amazing. So they sit uh, William Peter Blatty in one table and chair. And then, you know, they, they sit William Friedkin in another. So I think there was only one person in front of me. So I'm like next and... He's being, William Friedkin is being interviewed live on TV, right? And so I'm an autographer. You guys know this from listening to the show. So I've got my marker ready and I've tested it and tested it and it's perfect. It's flowing perfectly. So I'm like, cool, I'm going to get a great autograph. I put my poster down in front of him and literally I hand him the pen that I just tested. And this happens in autographing, guys. The pen out of nowhere died like it was dead so he goes to sign it and he's like literally being interviewed and like the person's like you know how how's it feel you know to be back in dc after all this time and he goes to sign my poster and the the pen is dead and he looks at it and he goes and we're outside mind you this is all outside and he goes piece of shit and he threw the sharpie <laughs> i'm not joking he literally screamed piece of shit and threw the Sharpie across the street oh, while being interviewed live on TV. Like, dude, the uh, reporter's eyes got so wide, like, holy fucking shit. So then he just, like, it was nothing to him. He just grabbed another marker and signed my poster. So I'm like, cool. So because they had said that I could get two autographs, I set my other item down. I shit you not, he looked at me. He looked at the item. He looked at me. He looked back at the item, and he flicked my poster back at me like not signing it i already signed one for you and i'm like okay apparently i guess they didn't clear it with him that he was signing they didn't get the yeah, memo I, so i was like <laughs> oh shit all right so i just you know picked uh picked my my items up so then immediately you know i get into william peter blatty's line and i'm like all right well i mean i met william friedkin and that was fucking rad he's a legend i got an autograph i got a great story out of it so literally at this point, I put my other item away. Now he was nowhere near uh, William Friedkin when Friedkin signed mine. So it wasn't like a situation. Yeah, they were two separate yeah, lines. So it wasn't yeah. like he saw my exchange with Friedkin. So I go to Blatty now, and I literally the only thing I have in my hand is the the thing that Friedkin had just signed for me. And I set down the one item, and I'll never forget William Peter Blatty went, 
I'm only signing one, so which one do you want signed? And I was like, um, the only thing I put in front of you would be cool. I just put one thing down. He's like, oh, all right. And I'm like, dude, these two fucking old guys, man, are so fucking crotchety. But, uh. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, you know this because you're in the autograph game, the convention game, hardcore, like they neither of those guys did that Ever. kind of thing. Ever. So I feel like that was something they were not used to. Yeah. And, you know, maybe they weren't given a full uh, detail list of how these kinds of things go down. Um, when I when I met him, it, it, he was perfectly fine. But I had already heard your story because you had met me in line. Like, what's up, dude? Like we had been messaging and shit and I was going to hang out with you. And you said you'd already gotten your shit. You were going to head on off and do your thing or whatever. Uh, and he was cool to me. I got the shittiest picture ever because, you know, there was a no picture rule or anything. But, of course, I snapped a picture of him behind me because I'm like, dude, this is once in a lifetime man yeah. that will go down in history. And to this day, and I'm telling you, dude, I don't care what anyone fucking says about this. Nine people out of ten people on this planet will tell you The Exorcist is the scariest movie ever made. I still think it's the scariest movie ever made. When we did our, you know, scariest movies ever made fucking top five or whatever it was, it was on my number one. So it will go down in history. And that's not to, you know, push aside as other movies like To Live and Die in L.A. is one of my favorite movies as well. Um, He has a wide array, uh, library, if you will, of amazing films. Cruising, you can say what you want about it. Also brilliant. But I'll never forget, Jeremy, to wrap this up being there for that commemoration event and seeing them both on stage and just like it was my first time ever being at the steps and to see them both there and see the see the house as well um you know it was just an exciting event and uh you know we have another legend lost and i could tell you right now man since he passed i've just been digging through uh, YouTube and listening to so many vintage interviews with him, I could lis- sit down and listen to him talk about movies and making movies every single day for the rest of my life and never get bored because the guy was just, he was an original, he was a rare one. So we just had to say, rest in peace, William Friedkin. Yeah, dude, uh, real quick before we move on, I remember being like eight years old. And the whole reason that I love movies is because of my grandfather. Uh, we called him Popal Jeep. Jeep was his nickname. And, uh, dude, he was bootlegging movies, like, day one. He had, like, the VHS players on top of VHS players. And, like, he would go to the video store. He was one of yeah, those Yeah, dude, he would go to the, the video store every week and, and rent dozens of movies and literally record them onto VHS tapes. And then he, ca- like, dude, he had thousands like he had them cataloged he had books where explaining where they were in the house and you know like it, he, it was serious he was the first person ever that had like an official theater set up like with the surround sound speakers like a big screen tv back in the day that weighed fucking 2,000 pounds and yeah one of those dude, ones so um i'll never forget i was like eight years old and like i said he had like man like books like they were alphabetized, labeled on where they were in the house, and I, I came across that he had The Exorcist. And he was not a big horror guy, but he would, from time to time, rent horror flicks that were super mainstream and popular and record them and shit like that. And I remember being eight years old and asking him, like, um, 
can I can I watch The Exorcist? And he said, let me see the book real quick. And he took the book and he closed it and he goes, if you can spell Exorcist, I'll let you watch it. Oh, I was out. I was eight years old. I was like, X er cyst. Uh, Is it like X Men X dash yeah. or cyst? Uh, I was like, I, I I threw I threw an attempt at. It. I just remember <laughs> being, it, it it not going well for me. And he was like, Yeah, that means you're too young to watch The Exorcist. So I'm like, Fair enough. So he was probably right. But yeah, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, upon this recording <laughs> gonna be my new thing apparently upon uh, if you upon if you have not watched a William Friedkin movie this week do it and if you know The Exorcist is one that we everyone watches every year you know during spooky season watch something you haven't seen like I watched The Guardian last night which I don't recall ever seeing all the way through and I was pleasantly surprised that William Friedkin made like a really cheesy B horror movie and you know just do your thing to celebrate his life. Uh, but moving on here to a brand new movie, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Um, everyone kind of knows the origin of the Turtles. Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman wrote the comic in the early 80s, and then uh, they wanted to make it a big thing. And they created a cartoon from it, and it was a worldwide success. And a few years later... Then we had the animated series, and of course the first movie. And do you then the rest is history? Do you think that the cartoon show is still the most popular and well-regarded adaptation of the Turtles, or would you say it's the '90 movie, 1990 movie? You know, it's hard to say. Um, when when you're in the turtle community, it, it, people vary in which degree they still love the animated series from you know 1987. I recently, like, I was at Walmart or something, and they, because I don't own the box set, the mm. DVD box set in the van, in the turtle van. I saw like they had a couple of DVDs with like ten episodes on each, and I just grabbed them real quick, and I was like, I want, I want to rewatch these, and I still They're find fun. them extremely yeah. fun. I, I love the shit out of, love the animation, love the voice acting. They're fantastic, but I will not lie. I think it's that 1990 movie because what that movie did was as close to the original concept and comics as it possibly could go. It's gritty. It's a little bit darker. I mean, we know that the original comic was not intended for small children. It was not cowabunga, radical. It was, like, really brutal and violent. And, uh, you know, it was their take on basically Daredevil. I mean, it was extremely influenced by Daredevil. I mean, a lot of the things, like, in Daredevil, you know, he fights the hand, so they created the foot i mean you know all of those similarities are there you can call it an homage you can call it a ripoff it is what it is but for me i remember growing up and and watching the cartoon but it wasn't until the 1990 movie that i really got hooked and that movie still to this day is one of my favorite comic book adaptations film ad- adaptations whatever you want to call it and I will plug this here because this is going to come out before it but this weekend uh on this sunday on the 13th, I'm going to be hosting a double feature of the original 1990 movie and the second movie, Secret of the Ooze, at Alamo Drafthouse, D.C. area, Ashburn. It's going to be a lot of fucking fun. It's extremely rare, Jeremy, to see not just the first one, but both movies in the theater at the same time. So if you're in the D.C. area, we're also going to be showing it in Woodbridge, uh, Washington, D.C., and Crystal City. So 
check that out as well. But um, I'm excited about oh, yeah, that because I, I love I, I love the shit out of some turtles. But this new one, Jeremy, I mean, I think a lot of people loved the first one. People out there, they still have nostalgia for the second one. Then there's the third one. And then, of course, we know uh, the history after that, the Michael Bay produced ones, which... I don't really know any fans that really, really like those. Dude, I liked Out Um, of the Shadows, man. I liked that second uh, one, dude. Out of the Shadows was definitely an improvement because it had a director that liked the cartoon. Mm -hmm. It felt more akin to the cartoon, but it still didn't. Yeah. But we haven't gotten that one Turtles movie to really blow the lid off the sewer, if you will. And give us something super new, fresh, inventive, and exciting to watch. Until now, which, you know, I'm going to go out and say this. I said it when I first saw the movie. To me, at least, I think that Mutant Mayhem is the best Turtles movie since the 1990 original. I think it's the movie that understands Turtles the most and does something new with it. And it's still the same Turtles we love. It's a fresh take on it, fresh coat of paint, if you will. But it's it's. It's exciting because it looks different. It feels different, but it's still the thing that we love. Um, Jeremy, were you anticipating this movie a lot, or was it just something that you thought, maybe I'll check it out? It was or? absolutely something that I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm I'm open to it. You know, they've, they've done so many different interpretations of this. Uh, at this point that I was like, all right, I'm I, like, I'll check it out. I've, I've checked all of it out, basically. Even if it was just checking out, like, when – Fox Kids had that Ninja Turtles live action show back in the day that had like cro- oh, the had one. crossovers oh, with Power they, when, Rangers when they, and shit. Oh god, when they brought in the fifth turtle, a lot of people were really pissed about it. Yeah, that. I'm like, dude, I even even then, like I was older, you know, I was probably like early high school aged when that came out. And even then I was like, I mean, dude, I'll watch an episode because it's turtles. I want to check it out. And it wasn't something that I followed the whole time, but I watched one episode, you'd be like, Oh, okay, cool, that's what it is. Um, so this was something that I was Said, you know, yeah, I'll give this give this a shot. It wasn't anything that I had any real excitement over, um, until my buddy Chris Keeney is like the world's biggest turtle fan, at least the world's biggest turtle fan that I know. Uh, and when he watched the movie and hit me up and was like, "Dude, it's really, really, really good. Like, you should absolutely go see it." I'm like, "All right, you know." It took it took priority. It went from like, "Yeah, I'll check this out whenever," because I I wasn't even necessarily planning on checking it out in theaters um yeah i mean you were you you were possibly going to because we did get that press invite but you said you had plans that mm-hmm. day or something so i went i took my wife i snuck my wife no one's listening <laughs> and uh and, but it wasn't like our normal press screenings where it was like just press people they'd actually brought in a regular mm-hmm. audience so it was filled with kids and i was actually shocked because none of the kids made any noises they were so entranced by this movie and just like in love with it and just stuck to the screen that, you know what I mean? Like it was like literally probably like 50 children in there and they didn't make any yeah. sounds. I was just like, this is this is what it felt like in 1990 when I saw the original Ninja Turtles. I mean, kids were there because they love turtles and they could not wait to see him on the big screen. Lean, mean and on the big screen. Um, I think like from our generation, it, it's kind of natural that we're always going to gravitate to wanting to check out a new sure, Turtles absolutely. movie. It's like um, Batman. But here... Like, uh, we're going yeah. to watch it. We're from that generation. But here as well, like, you know, uh, the Spider-Verse movies, I think, you know, clearly the influence is there with this movie, but not 
the art style necessarily. What Spider Verse allowed filmmakers to do is is bring that to the table when they're kind of like trying to pitch an idea and go. Things can look different. Things can have a different look and vibe and art style and still be profitable. And that's why I loved the shit out of what, you know, Seth Rogen brought to the table with this is they did something dynamic and something fresh and something that no one had ever seen before. And something that also harkens back to, you know, in a way to that original art style of the original comic. Absolutely. Um, it's just it's so great to fucking look at you yourself. You had, when you, you told me your initial thoughts on it were, you know, at first it took you a little while to kind of get used to it. It took to me it, like but. two to three minutes of like. The animation is so unlike anything I've ever seen on the big screen that I was like, it was like it was like breaking my brain because I'm like. Is, is this weird looking like what the fuck is this? Because, you know, usually in, in animated films, like, theme, things are very, like, straight lines and, like, everything, you know, symmetrically makes sense. And this, like, it doesn't. Even when Baxter is, like, picking up the, the, the canister of the mutagen in the beginning, like, it doesn't even look like it's all the same shape on the sides and everything else like that. It's kind of like like what, like, if a kid drawing in a notebook, you know what I mean? Just by, by memory. Yeah. You know, like... It took me two or three minutes to get used to it, but then I was like, oh, this is this is really, really rad and, like, strangely beautiful looking at the same time. Like, the cityscapes and things like that in that style um, was awesome, man. Um, so I it, it immediately after, you know, getting through, like, wait a minute, does this look good or does this not look good? Like, I was into it, man. They, they got me. Once your eyes and your brain adjusted yeah. to it, you just went in for the ride. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, it, here's the weird thing about this, you know, Seth Rogen in terms of his comedy and as an actor, I'm, I've been outspoken about that. I'm not a huge fan of, but as a producer, he's been extremely smart. He's, he's produced a lot of good stuff. I think his sensibilities flow well for turtles and he had the great, perfect idea on how to handle this, namely the choice to have the turtles voiced by real teenage Dude, actors, which brilliant. is the first fucking time, the first time in history, Jeremy, that they've actually used real teenagers of, you know, teens, like not over 20, you know, not Corey Feldman from the first one where he's already in his, you know, it's like, it was, it's such a simple idea, but it, and it works so fucking well and it makes the turtles so much more relatable, so much more unique along with the designs of each individual character. You know, we know that when they created the Turtles, in the comic, rather, it's they're all wearing red bandanas on their heads, or their eyes or whatever, and they all look the fucking same. They're all the same size. Here, they have different body types, and they have a different look in their face, and they have a different personality. All it's even them. stronger yeah. in that direction than we've ever seen before, and I just have to give them kudos for that. I mean, they really nailed that aspect of what these characters should be for a new modern audience. They were just so fucking fun, man. I mean, in that the dialogue written for these guys was just perfect. I mean, I was laughing so fucking hard as dude, bacon, egg and cheese, that shit was bacon, so egg funny. and cheese. I, I was literally dying. I was like, dude, that's some, that's the kind of shit that fucking teenage boys would be doing, you know, but dude, yeah, it's, this is the first time that we've truly gotten teenage Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, the title has been yes. there and everything, but they 
looked like teenagers. They talked. They're the size of yeah, teenagers they too. Talked I mean, like they're not teenagers. huge and massively muscular. They had the maturity of teenagers. They had the nervousness when talking to a girl of a teenager. Like, uh, you know, everything. It was just. It was so new and uncharted with these characters that it was. It was just a breath of fresh air, man. It really, it really, really was, and man, I was entranced the whole time with this movie. Like, I, it was one of those things. You ever watch a movie where you're like, I can't believe how good this is, and like you're consistently blown away by it the entire movie. And you're kind of waiting for it to like fuck up somewhere because you're like, it's just too perfect. Um, that was this movie for me, man. Like, I, I, I immediately was like, I love the setup. I love the story. I love the voice actors. Dude, Jackie Chan as Splinter. Holy Perfect, man. Fucking I, I, I'm telling shit. you. He's probably, I, I think, well, actually, he is. He's my favorite version of Splinter we've ever uh, received. He was hilarious. Dude, so, fu- Dude, the writing on his character alone of just being a scared dad that wants to take care of his kids and you know he's terrified of the outside world because he'd been treated so poorly by humans and doesn't want his kids to have to go through some of the things that he went through but man just ah they they nailed it with him and he's so fucking funny when uh Dude, I mean, yeah, you, you think back to old Jackie Chan, dude, he he did a lot of comedy in his early action movies. You can see Jackie Chan in the actual character of Splinter. You can actually see it. Like, he's oh, there. dude. Um, the funniest shit is when they're, uh, they're all trying to, all the, the turtles are trying to come up with an excuse for why they're late getting back to the sewer, and all of a sudden Leonardo decides to tell the truth. Oh, we, we snuck off and watched a movie. And one of the other turtles goes, ah, oh, Leonardo, you rat. And Splinter immediately goes, hey, don't use that word like that. The way, like the comedic <laughs> timing and delivery of yeah. that. I laughed so hard, dude. Like he was just fantastic, man. And you like relatable too. like we're both dads, like also relatable. And it's like, I get it. I get it. Yeah, of course. Um, perfect, perfect casting. Uh, loved the shit out of that. And. I know they didn't do motion capture for this movie, but they sure as hell did a great job in making these characters look like the actors that are portraying them. I mean, dude, uh, for example, like John Cena as Rocksteady, they they put so much of a a voice modulator on his voice, but you know it's John Cena. Then, of course, you have (laughs) Seth Rogen playing Bebop, and he's literally just Seth Rogen. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Which is hilarious. And 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 they look like him. Um, you know, I even liked, and I'm going to butcher her name, I apologize, but Ayo Adebri, uh, Adib- I, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce her name, I, I apologize, as April O'Neil, who, this is another fresh take as well, we know they changed uh, the origin yep. story for Splinter, we, they changed that, he's no longer, you know, a man that turns into a rat, or a rat that was a pet of a martial artist, uh, now he's a rat and it that's just a regular rat in New York city who just falls into mutagen and learns Kung Fu from instructional videos. Like straight up like Tybo Billy Blanks status. Dude, it makes so much sense. And that sequence is so funny watching him train like baby turtles, 
you know, with martial arts, watching like you know fucking basic like shitty infomercial videos. Um, but no, I I, I really enjoyed April O'Neil as well because they gave her a little bit more depth, a little bit more character. This is also someone where the turtles can actually relate to because they're the same age. They're they're both teenagers, um, and she also has you know, this thing with acceptance being bullied and stuff. And the whole theme of the movie in regards to the turtles is acceptance. And they're striving for that acceptance because they see the outside world. They want to be a part of it. And that's all about what it's like to be a teenager. I mean, that's a a core theme for everybody, no matter what generation you come from when you're that age, it's all about, I want to be cool. I want to hang out with people and be popular. And I want to, you know, do cool shit with people. I mean, that's all the turtles want to do. Um, but you know, as you said, you really liked the story. I think the movie is purposely light on story. It's, it's very basic level, but that's a good thing because then it allows us a lot more, uh, allowance for just fun, great action sequences and stuff and character moments. And dude, I'm going to tell you right now, like it may be my favorite character in the movie, but ice cube as motherfucking Superfly, Holy shit, dude powerhouse in this fucking movie dude performance and just hilarious and threatening as fuck yeah. dude i mean it's ice cube yeah. it, it's it's been like a long time you know he's done a lot of family movies and stuff um but to see him back and he was basically kind of, playing himself yeah dude <laughs> i mean there's that moment when you know later on in the movie where he like breaks the fucking back of the van off and uh he's like it's like he says that line from one of the NWA songs, like six in the morning, police at my door. And like it was just hilarious, you know, to see him back and doing something a little bit rougher around the edges again. And um loved his design as well. I mean, a lot of people were like, why isn't it Baxter Stockman in this movie? Why isn't he the main villain? We think he dies. I highly doubt they killed him off for real. He'll probably come back in a sequel. Um but the whole concept of just having this movie be like all the mutants and, you know, in particular, another standout, Paul Rudd is Mondo Gecko. Perfection. <laughs> Perfection. <laughs> it's just it's it's comedy gold, man. It's like that, that that voice that he gives that character and the design and stuff. They're just beautifully melded together. Um, you know, we have one of my favorite scenes to bring up is just them hanging out at a bowling alley. Yeah. And you just wish you were there with them hanging out. Even though they're talking about killing humans, you're like, this is something we've never seen before in anything Turtles related. Like them hanging out with these other mutants, just having a fucking ball, just chilling out, you know, eating pizza, fucking playing video games and shit. Because they didn't know that any other um, mutants existed. So that scene was like, oh, man, like there's other people out there like us. And, you know, much... uh, to the uh, disagreeance of the turtles, well, the other mutants are like, "Well, we're just gonna kill all the humans on the planet." It's like, "Well, wait," and that's that's really when Ice Cube's character was kind of introduced. Is like, you know, obviously he's the big bad, um, but like they're like, "Oh, he's kind of cool. He's kind of cool." And then all of a sudden, uh, Leonardo or one of the other turtles was like, "Well, what if we're actually not for the idea of killing all the humans?" And he was like, "The way that." He turned around and they framed switches, and they framed yeah. his character and he switches from like yeah we all cousins here to like well, that means I'd have to kill you 
Like the whole the whole vibe <laughs> changed, man, and it was just like, oh, that means you ain't as cool as I thought that's, you. That's was. what that's what it was. Um, yeah, 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 dude. Yeah. But very, very fret, uh, threatening, man. Very, very threatening. To where I'm like, man, I felt that even from an animated, you know, stance that this is a good villain. Yeah, one hundred percent a great villain. Um, you know, I skipped over it, but Jeremy, I shit you not, dude. Earlier on, when they first encounter April. And, you know, that scene of them, like, throwing ninja stars at, at, like, Michelangelo's head holding the watermelon was so hilarious. <laughs> but that leads to them, you know, the ninja star actually hits April O'Neil's fucking helmet, which I was like, holy shit, this is hilarious. And also extremely violent, um, which is something the movie does not shy away from. It goes hard on the violence, which leads to this amazing fucking action sequence where they're like, we have to help this girl. Leonardo's got a huge crush on her. We have to help this girl. This guy fucking stole her scooter, and they chase after them to this body shop. And what ensues is, I feel like, one of the best Ninja Turtle fight action sequences I've ever seen in my entire life. It's amazingly shot. It's it's interesting to watch, and it's brutal. I mean, dude, Raphael's like, clearly we know he's the angry one. But we see him like literally like I've been waiting for this moment my entire life. I dream of this. And like he just starts pounding the fuck out of these bad guys. It's just so fun to watch, you know, like it's it's exciting to watch that they were able to do this. I mean, Nickelodeon was like, fuck it, do it, man. Like have them be violent. They're Ninja Turtles for a fucking reason, Mm -hmm. you know, and this being their first fight they've ever actually had. So um, that was super exciting to watch as a fan. And the scene itself is just so entertaining. Um, And then, of course, much later on, you know, they get captured. You know, they're still fresh to this game. They're definitely not prepared to take on all these different mutants. As, as strong and huge as they are, this huge group, um, and they get captured, and then we get another amazing action sequence where, you know, and we had that whole ongoing joke throughout the movie of Splinter telling them, you'll get milked, you'll get milked, and they actually get fucking milked. Um, Hilarious. And April has to, has to go, uh, you know, encounter Splinter, who's never talked to a human before, and she has to convince him that he has to help the turtles because they've been captured. And he comes in. We get another amazing action sequence where Splinter beats the fuck out of all these different henchmen. Kind of reminds me um, of uh, one of the Star Wars prequels where Yoda is like just whipping ass and then immediately goes back to the whipping game. Whipping ass, yeah. yeah. Like a fucking boss. Yeah, dude. He, he whips ass. Then, of course, he's like, are they milking you? <laughs> They're milking you. It's such a funny fucking moment. The, the comic relief in the movie, like I said, is just perfect. Um and then, of course, you know, we get to the, the end climax, which, uh, you know, I watched the first trailer. I don't know if I missed this or not, Jeremy, but I had no idea that the movie was going to turn into this huge kaiju situation where Superfly was going to get even more mutated into this giant fucking creature with, like, horses on his legs and elephants on his face when he goes into the zoo and shit. I mean, and he's gross. Dude, disgusting. He's like, disgusting. He's got like, you know, green ooze coming out of his mouth. He's like gargling ooze. Look like fucking snot and phlegm. And he's destroying the city. And then we have the turtles um, in their first big battle where they have to like learn how to be a team. And, you know, Leo becomes a leader. We see the first time he he actually learns like this is how it is to be a leader. And, you know, we get that moment in the movie where 
he becomes the leader and you know he tells Michelangelo like you're great at improvising go improvise and and, and Donnie you're the smart one you know figure out how we're going to do this and Wrath you're the angry one go fuck shit yeah. up basically in other words you know when they're trying to get this like anti-mutagen canister in the blowhole which is like a fucking giant whale attached to Superfly's head um and that sequence is extremely heartwarming to see you know them working together and you know since the movie's all about acceptance we get this montage that we've seen in in plenty of other movies before like the spider-man movies where we get um we also got it in super mario brothers earlier this year where we have like new yorkers or like townspeople if you will like helping them out like they're not actually bad even though they look weird and green and they're turtles like they're trying to help us, you know, thanks to April O'Neil making her way to the news station and kind of broadcasting this for everybody, um, which is also definitely like, you know, a commentary on how quickly our society listens to the news to change their mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, what did you think of that end action I, sequence? I thought it was I fantastic. had no idea that there was a whole kaiju thing in this movie whatsoever. Apparently, I if if it was in in any of the trailers, I didn't see it. Honestly, it could have ended the scene previously. Like I Yeah, where they all try to fight yeah, him and and yeah. I thought like, okay, like this is it. Like and I still would have been like that was fucking great. And then they doubled down. They were like no, we're going to take the bad guy, but now make him a fucking kaiju monster, and he's going to start destroying New York, and it's going to, you know, the turtles are going to have to figure out how to stop this. You know, meanwhile, you know, they're exposed now that New York knows that there are turtle people that are life-size that, you know, are they the bad guys? Because there's another mutant that's destroying the city. Maybe they're all bad. Um, it was just a really, yeah. really cool uh, way to end the movie in a big, big way. Um, yeah, it also it also reminded me a lot. I don't know if you remember those old episodes of the original OG cartoon where they would be in like the turtle blimp and shit and like Krang would get in that his giant Krang suit and he would get supersized and he'd just be destroying shit in the city. It immediately reminded me of that. And that's why you can clearly tell that, you know, not just Seth Rogen, um, but, you know, everyone that was involved in making the movie director Jeff Rowe. Um, he went out on Twitter, I remember, recently, and he did a video, and he was like, this is a picture of myself when I was 10 years old, and it was him dressed as a Ninja Turtle. He's like, I've been dreaming of making one of these movies my entire life. You can clearly see that everyone involved grew up on the Turtles like we did, loved them, and sat down at the table together and said, how do we make one of these and make one that we would have wanted to see when we were a kid? And it's one of those rare occasions, dude, when they... They allowed filmmakers that were f actual fans to make a movie, not just people that were like, you know, I grew up watching this movie. I love it. But these guys are actual hardcore fans and it shows with what's on screen. It's, it's so rare that that happens. And, and typically when that does happen, it results in something really great, uh, especially when the studio allows the artist to make the movie that they don't try to take the paintbrush out of their hands, that they don't go in and say, oh, well, here's how you should end it, and here's what you should do. Ah, oh, we're going to do reshoots because we don't think that's going to test well. This is what happens when you let artists create art, man. Um, and be artists. Is, yeah, is you get something special. This movie. So if you would have told me a year ago, two years ago, that like Seth Rogen was going to be behind 
possibly the greatest Ninja Turtle movie ever made. Because, like, honestly, man, like, I love the 1991, and I'm not going to say that this one is necessarily better, but I, I think that it's it's on par. And oh, I for think sure. that, yeah, definitely. that thanks to Seth Rogen and, and his team that, that made this movie, that it just reinvigorated a franchise that was dwindling out. Let's be honest. Like, people were, were losing interest because those last two Michael Bay movies didn't do the greatest. And, um, you know, this was a movie that I feel like is so good that it's going to reinvigorate the franchise for another, you know, 20 years, 30 years. Dude, I said this as I was walking out of the theater and as we're wrapping this up, um, I'd take 10 more of these in this, this style with these versions of the characters. Here's the question though. Um, what do you think when the kids get older? Like if they start shooting a new one in two years, you can let them age out and bring in new actors. Are you just going to have the same kids, at 18, 19 years old doing older versions because here's the thing, and I think this makes sense to do this, they're going to get older. The characters are going to grow. They're going to become non-teenage mutant mm-hmm. ninja turtles. I mean, you could have three movies where they're still in their late teens. They're bigger. They're bulkier now. Um, I say keep the kids along Absolutely. And, and just stick with it. And then at know? some point, you just ninja turtles. <laughs> you know, you don't have to say teenage mutant ninja turtles. It can just be ninja turtles. Or just abbreviate the yeah, shit. No one yeah, knows. No one absolutely. Knows. I mean, it, it doesn't even make that big of a difference because we've grown up hearing grown men, you know, voice these, you know, grown men in suits and grown men voicing the turtles in the live action movies. And, you know, again, grown men voicing them for every iteration of the animated show. So it doesn't really make a difference, in my opinion. They've always been drawn to look big and muscular anyway. And this is the first time they've ever truly been portrayed as teenagers. So just let the kids age with these versions and make them more mature and see them grow and actually develop them as characters think of that right That'd be amazing um but um yeah man as, as we circle around to this i just have to say you know the actual soundtrack you know oh, the songs they put in from the, the mid 90s brilliant and of course the score by trent Reznor and atticus ross if you listen to it dude which i've listened to it like three or four times if you didn't know it was for a Turtles movie, you'd go, that's definitely not for a Turtles movie. But somehow, strangely, it just fits perfectly. And, and, and it's a marriage to that animation where it just works naturally in a really strange way. And I loved that, too. Yeah, same. Uh, there were points where it's just like like really sad synth. And I'm like, this yeah. is yeah. fucking amazing, man. The uh, the score yeah. is is absolutely fantastic and, and top top-notch man it really amplifies how great the movie is for sure so we're gonna get it here right now it's a final thoughts and trash it or treasure it what are your final thoughts and are you gonna trash it or treasure Uh, treasure man like i i urge everyone go watch this movie in theaters even if you've already seen it go watch it again because i see it again because me and justin want 10 more of these movies so we got to support these things when they come out and they're actually great done by people that actually give a shit about the property. And clearly everyone involved in this really, really did. And I I was reading an article today that Seth Rogen said that he didn't want to exhaust the animators, that he wanted them happy, and he kind of let them do their thing on it. Dude, and he gave them them time off and shit so that they they could breathe and, and actually do a great job and be creative. And that's something that we never see uh at all anymore. So that's that's insane, man. Props to him for yeah, that. Yeah, what about what about you, man? Trash it or treasure it? Oh, 
Oh, it's a it's a massive treasure. I mean, this is uh, this is going on my fucking shelf. I'm buying oh, it. Sure. I haven't had a chance to see it a second time. Um, really excited to hope I get to. Um, you and I were kind of talking the other day, um, and we haven't seen the Meg two, so we can't really judge the quality of the film. Though I've heard plenty of things, <laughs> um, but we were bummed to see that the Meg two actually beat it out of the <sighs> box office. But I just looked. And it beat the Meg yesterday for Monday. Oh, yeah. So it's one of those things we were talking about, dude, where, you know, we're at the end of the summer. We've only got a few movies left. We got Blue Beetle. We've got Expendables 4. Um, you know, there's a few other movies popping up here and there. Um, but this is like the last big property for the for the summer, really. And I would love to see this be one of those movies where it kind of slowly chugs along like every week just keeps moderately making money. Like right now, the budget was 70 million. It's made about 50. I would just love to see it make like 150, 200 million or something just to justify a sequel. Um, You know, the interest is there. I haven't met a single person that hated it. Um, All the people that were weary about it, you know, reported back to me they loved it there was one guy that i saw that follows us on twitter i will not name him um good guy follows us listens to the show which is like if my kid wasn't with me i would have walked out immediately and that's a bummer to hear uh, but not everything's going to be for everyone mm-hmm. i just i walked in with an open mind and this shit i mean it knocked my socks off man it made me scream cowabunga turtle fucking power as i left the theater so definitely treasure in this one ladies and gentlemen if you have not seen it in theaters and you listen to this we just spoiled the whole fucking movie but you know what you're still gonna enjoy it go see it go check it out support teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant mayhem at the theater if you get the opportunity but that is it for this episode of the epic film guys podcast if this is your first time listening Thank you very much. We love you. And if you're interested in checking us out on social media, we're everywhere at Epic Film Guys. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, threads, you name it, we're fucking probably there. And, of course, we're on every single podcast platform there is available. Uh, If you like the show, you hate the show, you want to tell Brady that he should stop wearing Ice Nine Kill shirts because they're for 13-year-olds, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, or it's even easier and it won't hurt Brady's feelings. Head over to Spotify, leave us a five-star review. It makes us reach more amazing, totally tubular people like yourselves. Um, But until next time, I'm Justin. I'm Jeremy. And as always, we like to ask you to keep it it creepy. creepy. Cowabunga, dude! Turtle power!